You know, this month we are contemplating Jesus' interaction specifically with Peter under our theme of Jesus in action. This morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 22. Now, this chapter does have 71 verses. Now, I'm not going to read all of that. But I do encourage you to go back and read this narrative. Let me ask you this question, as you see it on the screen. Next slide. How did we get here? How did we get here? This is not a question I'm asking you to answer right now. But I'm confident that we have asked this question several times in our lives. As we traverse this life, we can have this question, whether it's to ourselves or whether it's in a relationship with someone else you may find yourself asking, how did we get here? In my experience, this question can have positive connotations, but mostly negative. You're in a place where you don't want to be, and so you ask, how did we get here? It's a reflective question. Turn your Bibles over to Luke chapter 22. And we're going to look at verse 61 and 62. It says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the words of the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Here's what I want you to do this morning. Place yourself in this story. Place yourself in this story. Imagine you are Peter. There aren't many passages in the Bible that I've looked at recently that jar me, but this one, it did. Why did it jar me? Why did it shock me? Because I placed myself in the story as Peter, and to get a look from the Lord, think about it. The text or the, the context of this, they are in the courtyard. Jesus was just arrested. Peter is following along. And then a girl notices Peter, a young girl notices and says, I know that you were with him. And then Peter denies her. He says, no, I, I, I don't know who you're talking about. And then another man recognizes Peter as one of Jesus' followers. And then he says, nope, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Another man acknowledges him. And he says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And then at that moment, it's almost, in my mind, it's almost cinematic. It's like time stood still for a few seconds. Because it was at that moment, it's that, it says that Jesus turned and he looked at Peter and they locked eyes. And Peter, his soul was pierced. 
In my mind, it became like the room went dark. In my mind, that courtyard, Peter could no longer see the flame that was in the middle of the courtyard. He could no longer see the young girl that he denied or the two guys that he denied. It was just him and Jesus. And in that moment when he locked eyes, perhaps in my mind, he went from eternity past to the present. Maybe he thought about, this is the guy that healed my mother-in-law. This is the guy that allowed me to walk on water. This is the guy that when I started to sink, he reached out his hand and he helped me up. This is the guy that called me and said that I would have the keys to open up the church. And then at this moment when he locked eyes, he said, at this very moment when he needed me the most, I denied him. Peter's soul was pierced. He walked outside and he wept bitterly. And wherever he decided to go, I imagine that question came to mind. How did I get here? So how did Peter get here? How did Peter get here? Because this is 71 verses long, I'm going to just give you the background context of this. This situation where Peter's denial, it takes place over two locations. One, when they were in the upper room getting ready to have dinner with Jesus and celebrate the Passover. Two, it was at the Mount of Olives, the garden. And so there were a lot of things that took place that led up to this crucial moment. By this time, Satan had entered into Judas. And Judas willingly went to plan out the betrayal of Jesus. He willingly, decisively went to betray Jesus. Jesus eats dinner with his disciples before he suffers. Jesus states specifically that the suffering that I am about to undergo, it is divinely decreed to happen. Let me say that again. The suffering that Jesus was about to go under, it was divinely decreed to happen. It's what God wanted. It's what God desired. It's what God said, this has to take place and you have to be the one to do it. This is key to the context, guys. Jesus expresses his awareness to his disciples that one of you is going to stab me in the back. Now, that's Mike's commentary. But I'll give you what Jesus actually said. One of you is about to betray me. You ever been betrayed before in your life? Betrayal tends to happen by someone closest to you. But I love Jesus, though. Even in his awareness of his betrayal, he protected Judas because he never mentioned his name. Is that you? Is that me? We get betrayed. Oh, I know who did it. Let me tell you who did it. <laughs> let's rally up. Let's get some payback. In the flesh, that's how I think. Case in point, why Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
This is good stuff, guys. I mean, we, 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 we got to get into this. This message isn't one that I'm giving you one steps, one, two, three, to do X, Y, and Z. This is more of a reflective message. The disciples began to question among themselves who the betrayer is. And then they have a dispute over who's the greatest, who's superior, who's the more important one. And I bet, I imagine, maybe in their minds, some debates were going on. Maybe for Peter. Well, you know, I'm the greatest because I was at the transfiguration, baby. I saw this dude trans coming to something else. And then John goes, well, hold on. I was there too, player. And then James jumps in. No, brother, I was there too. I heard what you said. Do we want to build some shelters and stuff? I was there too. Shout out to my boy Mo for last week's message. Amen. Maybe Peter had a little bit more to say. Well, you know, he loved me because he healed my mother-in-law. He came into my home and he took care of moms. But see, while they're at the dinner, though, this is going, this is going to really uh, get you. Maybe Judas even chimed in. Judas probably said, well, you know, I take care of the money. I'm the treasure guy. I take care of the money, guys. Y'all don't eat except for me. Right? Maybe Judas has something else to say. Judas probably said, now, if you understand the context of a Jewish meal, actually Judas was sitting in the seat of honor. He was sitting to Jesus' left, which is the seat of honor. Judas could have said, well, look where I'm sitting. I'm in the seat of honor. Maybe I'm the greatest. Maybe John chimed in, well, you know what? I'm also sitting in the seat of honor because I'm sitting next to his right. It has been said that John laid his head on the chest of Jesus. Well, I heard his heartbeat. I'm the one that he loves. Maybe I'm the greatest. You see how this could go? Here it is. They're at the supper to celebrate his time with Jesus, and they're arguing about who's the greatest. And then Jesus chimes in. He says, well, is it not the one who sits at the table is the greatest? But I come to you as one as a servant blows their whole mind. Because they all know, well, Jesus, you're the top dog, you're the top guy, and yet you're serving us. Well, I guess walking on water wasn't that great. <laughs> blows their mind. This is amazing stuff when you open it up a little bit. So, Jesus and his disciples at the dinner. Now that you have kind of a context, let's get into it. Luke chapter 22, verse 27. It says, For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. Pause for one second. This really went in my notes, but I think... This hits me. As an older guy, there was a time in my life I started to assess who are my friends. And this passage means something to me. For Jesus to say to the 12 closest dudes around him, he says, you have been with me through my trials. What a friendship. 
I hope that rings true for all of us, that we can be the one person that somebody can point to and say, you have been with me through all my trials. I hope someone can say that about you just as much as you can point to someone else and say that to them. That's amazing what Jesus says here today. He goes on, he says, and I confirm you a kingdom just as my father confirmed on, on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sits on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. How did we get here? Well, I think, how did Peter get to the point where he denied Jesus? I think, one, he didn't truly examine himself and the circumstances with sober judgment. Why do you say that? Jesus just told Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. First of all, you was just arguing with them about who's the greatest. But notice what Peter says. He says, Lord, I will go to prison and to death with you. But he didn't listen. The battle that was before Peter wasn't a physical one. It was a spiritual one. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And what's interesting with that word ask, it really in certain contexts doesn't mean like a, like a request. It's more like a demand. De- Satan went to God demanding, can I sift one of your dudes? Don't underestimate the influence of evil and Satan. If Satan don't care about showing up in the throne of God to ask him to take out Job, he don't care about showing up at your family dinner, your barbecue, your birthday parties, your worship services, your family dinner table. He don't care about any of that. This dude was prideful enough to go before the throne of God and say, can I get Job? Be unaware of evil influences. He don't care about using your family members. He don't care about that. Was Peter still trying to prove his loyalty to Jesus? Was he still trying to prove that he was the greatest? Notice his language. He said, I will go to prison and to death with you. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, we will go to prison and death with you. He still, is he still trying to prove I'm your top dog? Matthew accounts record his words saying, even if all fall away, I will never leave you. He's still thinking singular. He's not thinking as a group. He's not thinking about the square. Well, wait a minute. You shared the transfiguration with two of your other buddies. You couldn't even say, hey, you know me, John and James got you, though. 
Now, I don't know about the rest of these cats, but we got you. He dismissed his boys when he says, well, let's build three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But James and John were there, too. He thought singularly. How, how often, even in the family of God, we think about ourselves and not the collective group. There's lessons all over this thing. I mean, we could be here for hours, but I'm not. <laughs> Is he still trying to prove his loyalty? He says, I will go to prison with you and to death. Self-confidence is a dangerous thing. <laughs> Satan has asked Jesus to sift them all like wheat. Even the archangel Michael did not deal with Satan alone. He says, may the Lord deal with you. An archangel. Don't get it twisted. These little cartoon movies with angels, they, they, ain't, they dangerous. They some bad beings. But even the Archangel Michael was like, I, the Lord deal with you. Don't try to take on evil alone. Do it with God. You will face evil, but don't be confident in your own ability to do so. Say, you know what, God, I need you with this. I am tempted. Evil was right at my door. It's coming at me. Can you deliver me? Can you help me? Can you walk with me? If I don't go with you, I will perish. That's how serious it needs to get. Next slide. So how did we get here? The battle against evil is spiritual. Our confidence needs to be in God. Not our longevity of being a Christian, not what we've done for God in the past, not our position among others in the world or even in the church, not even what we know. We have to, if we deliberate deliberately or deliberate where we are, we may avoid decisions that take us where we don't want to be. If, if Peter would have just thought for a second what Jesus had just said, Satan has asked to sift you, not me, not the soldiers, not the dudes that's going to arrest me. Satan, an enemy that you cannot see. If Peter would have just took a moment and said, yeah, you gave me powers over demons. Yeah, this is a spiritual war. Maybe, let, me, let, me, let me pause for a second and let me hold my tongue. But he said something that he couldn't come back out of. Take a moment to pause before you act. Next slide. Look at this. Now, here's what I love about Jesus, because Jesus set Peter up. Listen to this, guys. He says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Notice the words in that text. He didn't say if you turn back. He says, when you turn back. Jesus had already set up Peter for success, even when he spoke to his own failure. That is the grace of God. God was looking out for Peter, 
even before he made the mistake. You may be wondering, what well, Peter did fail. No, there's a difference. Peter failed the test. He didn't fail the class. Does that make sense? We all get tested by God. But that does not mean when you fail a test that your faith is gone. That doesn't mean that they fell away. Satan will tell you that, oh, well, see, you didn't stand up for Jesus. You're not a Christian. That's not true. I believe Peter would be the first to tell us that. I denied the Lord, and yet I returned to strengthen my brothers. Second thing, have Jesus pray for you. Jesus' prayers always get answered. Now, don't pray to Jesus for a car or a house or a new, you know. You can, but that's not what I'm talking about. Let's keep it in context, people. I'm talking about a spiritual battle, spiritual battle. People planning trips. They're like, well, I'm going to go to the <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let's go to the next slide. Let's keep this moving. Luke chapter 22, verse 35. Does this make sense, guys? He says, then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without a purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they replied. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. Remember when I said what happened to Jesus is divinely decreed? This is what Jesus was talking about. Verse 38, the disciple said, see, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. Here's the situation. Things were about to change for the disciples. At one point, Jesus told them, don't worry about bringing a purse, a bag, a sandals, none of that. Because when I'm with you, you are good. Trust in me, I got you. This is funny TikTok video where... Uh, I know I'm on TikTok. Um, and uh, this girl is, she's got a, a voiceover, and the, the voiceover is saying, hey, where you, it, it says, there's a caption that says, how I am when I trust in God. And so the voiceover is saying stuff like, well, where are you going? He's like, I don't know yet. How many people going with you? I don't know. What you going to eat? I'm hungry. I hope so. The, the point was, it was talking about how they trusted God. So when Jesus told them, don't take a bag, a purse, or send them anything, he was saying, I got you. But Jesus now says, remember before I told you before, don't take it. Now I'm telling you, take a bag, take a purse. If you got money, go buy a sword. Things were about to change because Jesus was about to leave them. And so he was telling them, now you need to prepare. But hold on. Jesus, did he say, go buy a sword? Did, that, did we just read that? But then Peter says, look, Lord, we got two right here. 
Notice Jesus says, that's enough. That's key because this is going to come in later. He says, that's enough. Jesus wants them to prepare. He wants them to get ready. Things are about to switch up. Things are about to change. Even if Jesus was implying self-protection, he didn't need protection from the suffering decreed by God. I don't need that. That's why he told Peter, Barbara, yeah, that's enough for the sword talk, Peter. Because unbeknownst to Peter, you're about to go to a place you can't reverse. So stop talking about that. You ever get to a situation in life where you talk about what you would do, what you would do, what you would say? Well, if you keep doing that, be careful. Because when a situation or circumstances are just right, you may end up acting out of your flesh and not of the spirit. Why? Because you kept talking about it. You kept saying what you would do. Well, that was me. This is what I would do. And then when the situation comes, God goes, okay, let's test that. Situation comes, and you Mr. and Mrs. Disciple, and next thing you know, you done spoke up something. You done spoke yourself into doing something that you may regret later. Let's go to Luke chapter 22. Verse 47. He says, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But, at, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? See, you see why Jesus said, that's enough? Because look where Peter's mind is at. That's why he said, I, I almost... Not that I want to correct the Holy Spirit for what he was recording. I don't. But in my mind, I almost see Jesus saying, that's enough with the sword talking. That's enough with that, Peter. Because now we are in the situation that Peter goes, well, I got our swords. What you want us to do? We jumping? When When have you ever been with Jesus, Peter? And he told you, let's get into it. (laughs) Has he ever said that to you? Has he ever implied that, Peter? Ever? That's not even his character. You saw this dude deliver demons, wake people from the dead. Do you really think he needs your little pocket knife? Your little dagger? You saw this dude transfigure into a light where he got Moses and Elijah, dudes who have been dead for decades. Do you really think he needs your little dagger? I'm just opening this up, guys, because put yourself in this story. Jesus is never required for you to for you to defend him like that, ever. That's not even his makeup. Think about who Jesus is. And I like this question because 
Remember, I, you may remember Reuben preached on this, but it's almost as if Peter is looking for Jesus to approve something he decided in his mind to do. You want us to do it? You want us to pull our swords? I know Jesus was like, did I ask you that? No, because see, Peter, you had in your mind already what you wanted to do. Now you want my approval. Isn't that like us sometimes? We go to God. Hey, can you do this? We ain't asking God. We want you to bless what we've already decided to do. We can do that with each other in our church. I'm getting advice. Are you? Because it sounds like you got your mind made up already. And if it is, just go with it. Peter already had his mind made up on what he wanted to do, but he wanted God to bless what he already had in his mind to do from a negative standpoint. Where we at? (laughs) (laughs) Believe me, I'm preaching to myself. Verse 49. When Jesus' followers saw that what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? Verse 50. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Peter said, do you want us to strike with our swords? Oh, now it's we. Now it's we. Because before you said you would go to death in prison with him. Now it's we. Now now you want to be a group when we got to get down and do some stuff that ain't really kosher. When you want to make yourself look good, it's all about you. Now you want to involve the group, right? But he says, should we strike with our swords? The Lord tells him no. Is Peter still trying to prove himself as the most loyal one? Is he still trying to show that he's the greatest? Is fear driving this? Is Peter afraid now? Maybe. But we see Peter, he acts in haste. He acts out of his flesh. He cuts a man's ear off. Some may read this and say, man, Peter is the guy. He's... He's down for Jesus. He was ready to strike a blow for Jesus. But Jesus is like, yeah. Remember when Jesus says there were people who will kill in my name and say they're doing it for God. Peter here striking a blow for his boy. What you confirm what Jesus would he wants you to do before we just start getting hasty. Look at the grace of God, though. Do you see the kindness of God in this scene? The dudes that come to arrest Jesus, Peter cuts off his, the soldier's ear. Jesus puts his ear back on. That would have freaked me out. I would have been with the, did he just do that? But maybe for them, they've seen Jesus do so many miraculous things. Maybe it became dull to them. 
I don't know. It doesn't say that in the text, but maybe. But here's the lesson even in that. Some decisions we make, we cannot reverse. Now, God can do cleanup. But listen to this carefully. He's not obligated to. Don't confuse what he can do with what he's obligated to do. Case in point, let's go back to Genesis. God told Cain, get a hold of your anger. Because if you don't, it desires to master you. And because he didn't get a hold of his anger, what did it lead him to do? Decisively, he planned. That's what you call, correct me if I'm wrong, premeditated murder? He, he didn't act irrational and like, oh, oh, let me just kill him. He planned it. He walked him into the woods. He planned that. But notice even in that scene, God did not reverse what he did. Abel still died. Here, God was able to reverse what Peter did. He put the dude's ear back on. That's God's grace. And it was even grace to Peter showing that there are times I will clean up what you do because you acted out of haste. God can be graceful to us at times to clean up stuff when we acted out of grace, but don't make decisions to put yourself for God to do that. Does that make sense? We're getting into the air in here. So how did we get, how we got here? Next slide. How we got here. Verse 55, he says, and when some had, when some there kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord looked and turned, turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the words of the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. That's how we got here. All of those things that we just talked about before. Arguing over who's the greatest. Speaking and acting out of haste. Joking around with the swords. It led you to make, all of these were pathways that led you to this. Peter's cutting off the dude's ear wasn't reactionary. He had made prior decisions leading up to that. But Peter, it says that an hour later, Jesus was in that courtyard, we know, for at least an hour. Peter followed his friend, his master. His Lord, he cared for him. I have no doubt Peter cared for Jesus. I'm not here to judge him. And I hope we don't judge Peter. But Peter's an example on how we can make decisions that lead us to places where we end up asking the question, how did I get here? 
And so the point of this sermon is, is just to think about that. Think about your decision making. Think about your pathways. When you're dealing with other people, when you're dealing with people in your family, your job, your fellow brothers and sisters, if you end up in a place of where you don't want to be, reflect on how did we get here so that we don't repeat the same mistakes. So as, I, as we commune together, now I'm asking you as a church, how did we get here? How did we get here? We got here because Jesus made decisions that led us to be this. Jesus made decisions not to abandon what was decreed for him when he could have got out of it. That was decisive. Jesus made decisions to follow the plan of God regardless of what was coming at him. And because he decided to stay in line and have the will of God and obey the will of God, he died on that cross, he rose from the dead, and because of that, we are now a church. We are now his body. That's how we got here. That make sense? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We can learn so much from you. Thank you, Jesus, for setting an example. Thank you for showing us how to be graceful even in a time of trial and challenge and tribulation. Thank you so much for you making decisions that were pathways to to get us to be a church, a collective body that's diverse, young, old, rich, poor, educated, uneducated. It's a beautiful thing. And we're able to all come together and worship and sing songs and make our offering to you and live lives that are committed to you all because of the decisions, Jesus, you made. And so on a, in a holy way, with a holy connotation, that's how we got here. And we're grateful for it. Jesus, thank you for showing us the example. Thank you for leading the way. We love you. It's Jesus that we pray. Amen. Let's commune together.